looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Hello, all of my real estate investing friends. Welcome back to the show. I am glad you all could make it. Today's guest is Evan Holiday of Holiday Ventures. Evan is a great guy. He's got a great head on his shoulders. I really enjoyed talking to him because we got to talk about ground-up development. And I don't get to talk about that every day, so I thought it was pretty exciting. I was one of those kids that loved playing with Legos and building stuff, so it's just like doing that, but 100 times bigger, am I right? So he talks about a little bit of how the ground-up development works, the risks involved with it, and kind of what they're doing right now. I would love to hear from you guys, so if you would like to shoot me a message on Instagram, go right ahead. I know everyone's super, super busy right now, and it seems like we're in such a busy-slash-weird time. So all I can say to you guys, and I need to tell myself this a little bit too, is just, you know, push through, keep going. Uh, There's a light at the end of the tunnel, and it always gets better. I can promise you that. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. If you could make your way over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review. It always helps with the show. And enjoy the episode with Evan. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Evan Holiday in the mix. Evan, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself, my friend? Yes. Glad to be here, man. I'm really, really excited to join you on the show. Um, and a little bit about me, I really got into real estate at a young age, um, kind of fell into my passion in college. And ever since then, was started a modular company in college and made my way into workforce and affordable housing. And I've been doing that for about 10 years now and just absolutely love it. Uh, found my passion in helping others, creating both developing and acquiring uh, communities where we are creating empowering communities uh, with our company Holiday Ventures. And then we also have our podcast, Monumental Podcast. So I'll let awesome. you take it from there. Awesome. I love it. So Evan, just kind of tell us where you're at today. What are you doing right now? And we're going to dive in a little bit more into that. Yeah, definitely. Good question. Um, we are we're kind of doing a little bit of everything. We are growing <laughs> like crazy. Uh, this pandemic has not slowed us down. It's kind of put the, put the gas on the fire, um, in a way, because we have really seen a a massive, massive uptick in our business. We're doing quite a few different things, all centered around providing good quality housing. Um, so we're, we're doing a multifamily mixed use development here in Nashville. Uh, we have, it'll be in two phases. It'll be 400 plus units with a substance abuse recovery center, nonprofit having a space there as well. Um, it will, and so that's that's currently in the works, very early stages. Um, so still a lot of work to do there, uh, but that's one project. We have a, a rezoning and a entitlement uh, for a land deal we're working on in Huntsville. And we're wrapping up a syndication of a acquisition deal, 65 units in Louisville. Um, yep, I we saw just that. got another 22 acres under contract in Nashville. And we're growing the team. We're hiring a couple of people next week, so we're uh, we're just blowing and going, dude. I, I love it. I you know I see you on Instagram you're moving and shaking definitely. Uh, I you said you have you know just over thirteen hundred units. Uh, 
225 million assets under management. That's awesome. I love it. I, so something I really wanted to touch on first is something that not a lot of people are talking about. People are always doing the value add syndication. They're, you know, they're raising capital to make things happen. What I really want to hear about a little bit more is the real estate developer side. I see you doing a, a decent amount of new construction stuff, ground up projects, and yeah. not everyone does that. Not everyone goes into that because sometimes it doesn't work for the value add strategy because you're starting from you know, the ground up. So talk to us a little bit about that. What What's, where did that kind of stem from with the real estate development and why do you sometimes choose that over the existing buildings? Yeah, good question. I, for me, it really, I kind of fell into it. Like it's kind of wild um, because I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of, you know, like in college, uh, I was part of this entrepreneurship uh, minor program and that was probably the best thing I ever did. And I tell everybody that goes to, to college, I'm like, figure out a way to be part of an entrepreneurship program because they really put your feet to the fire and they say, Hey, figure out a way to start a business. Doesn't matter what it is, but start a viable business and, um, and then come back to us with a plan and everything put together for that. And so we were like, well, what can we do? What are we all passionate about? And I, I kind of led the group and was like, Hey guys, I'm passionate about real estate. Like I just found my passion, started working for a developer on campus, went to university of Louisville. And in the process, I was like, you know what, like I'm working for a developer. This is pretty awesome building stuff, changing neighborhoods for, for literally the next 50 to hundred years. Yep. And I was like, how can we start something like that? So we, you know, just naively kind of jumped in the deep end was like, Hey, let's do multifamily and not only multifamily, let's do modular. And on top of that, let's do mixed income. And wow. so we just, you know, didn't know what we didn't know. And so we kind of dove in the deep end and, really learned by like just you know drinking from a fire hose like i just yeah. you know gathered this board of directors where you know i found people that were experts in creating affordable housing experts in creating modular housing we had you know a, a factory lined up for building these components for a modular housing and we had people that helped us on the finance side and and the management side and really just kind of built our board of directors right there. And then after that, I was just, I was like, man, I'm hooked on real estate and multifamily and creating impact out of real estate, not just, you know, the, the, the positive impact on me, but I was like, how can I help the residents? How can I help the right. community? Um, and that I think is like the trifecta of me helping our family, um, our employees, our team, the community and our residents. Yeah. I mean, something you said was changing communities, changing people's lifestyle basically for 50 to hundred years. Cause that's the case. Yeah. I mean, you look back in 1960, 1970, when some of these multifamilies or mixed use buildings were, were made, it did change people's lifestyle. You know, it, it yeah. brought more population to that side of town. Now I would imagine you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're really looking at areas where demand is pretty high, but supply is pretty steady. Cause I can't imagine you guys would be doing new development in oversupplied markets. Is that correct? Yeah. Usually you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to bank on areas that are, um, you know, growing income, growing jobs, growing population. That's where all new, new development happens. I mean, usually unless, unless we have a community that really says, Hey, you know, we need workforce and affordable housing. Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll help you pay for it. You know, whatever the cost, you know, please come to us and help right. us. Right. We need it. Uh, yeah. Which, which, which has happened, but usually the case is it's in growing metropolitan areas. 
Um, like we currently based in Nashville, you know, they currently need 31,000 units of workforce and affordable housing, just that income range of housing. And so, you know, that's going to keep us busy for a long time, but there's cities across the country, every major Metro, even smaller metros have this issue of supply not meeting demand and a lot of families paying, you know, 50, 60, 75% of their income for rent or, or paying for a house. And so that's what causes this, this kind of struggle for cities is people mm. are just paying way too much for housing. Right. No, that, that's good. And again, going back to the real estate development side of things, we're at the ground up development where, what are some resources that you looked at, books you read, things you listened to that really kind of taught you a little bit about the real estate development? Because there isn't like books out there that I'm aware of that just tell you how to do ground up real estate, because that's a whole different animal than, you know, taking an existing building and just increasing the NOI so it functions a little higher. So tell us what, what you've got as far as education platforms. Yeah, um, great question. <laughs> and I wish I had a better answer for you. Uh, I hear you. I That's so why I'm many, asking you. <laughs> I had so many people ask me that. They're like, they're like, well, how do I do what you do? And I'm like, really? The best thing you can do uh, is either find mentors or find a coach or partner with somebody um, yeah. or some try, you know, some blend of all of those. Because I, I don't know. There's not really many good books. There's a couple of biography books um, like George Perez down in um, down in Miami. Uh, he's got a bio or I think it's powerhouse powerhouse principles. I have it behind me on the bookshelf. Um, that's a phenomenal book, but again, that's more like a storytelling book. It doesn't really go into the technical side of, Hey, here's how you actually do it. It's not, I will say, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I will say we are working on, uh, it's taking longer than expected because we have a lot of deals in the pipeline, but uh, we're working on, uh, affordable housing development mastery program where people can learn not only affordable, uh, but how to do the development, new construction. That's a, that's a game that a lot of people want to get into. Uh, but a lot of people really don't know how and don't, there's really not really any mentors out there in the space that are teaching people how to do that. There's no playbook either. So, Hey, everyone's writing books right now. Feel free to write a book on it. I'm sure it'd be wonderful. (laughs) Now, Someone that's listened to this, they're probably thinking, okay, you know, even syndicators, I know how to price an asset as such as a multifamily building. I know how to take the value add approach. I know how to take the turnkey approach, uh, the distressed approach. But how do you take the build up approach as far as what your costs are? Obviously, the land is pretty straightforward, but how do you start to calculate these costs and what your rents are and how the, the, you know, the deal makes sense from a return standpoint? And I know it's a very broad open question. We can go on for days with this, but what, what do you got for me, Evan? Yeah, I think, you know, just as, just as any really well-experienced acquisitions and value add guy will tell you is that, you know, once you, once you've done this a while, you can figure out what price per square foot is for mm, certain okay. items. Um, it's, it's really, it's the same thing. It's price per square foot um, down to, all the different components that it takes to build a brand new building. The only real variable, like typically 80, 70, 80% of what we do is garden style. Uh, it's right. your, you know, suburban style, three story walk up buildings, 24 unit buildings. That is very, very common building style. So it's very easy to just say, Hey, this is what it's going to be. And it's likely going to be more or less the same geographically speaking, like throughout the Midwest. Right. Um, it may be higher on the coast, but 
more or less it's going to be the same in the Midwest. Uh, when you deal with like cold weather, like if you get up to Michigan, it's going to be more expensive. If you get down to Florida, it's going to be more expensive because you're dealing with those like different high climates, low temperature there, yeah. states. Yeah. Waterfront, uh, like, so to like speak, Syracuse. possibly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So, so you have to deal with variables like that, but the biggest variable for any, any deal is going to be hands down your site. Um, mm. So that's just a condition of doing your homework on the site, um, doing a phase one environmental report, um, doing a geotech, uh, basically like drilling down or digging down to see what are you building on top of. Right. Your engineers are going to want to know what, what can it withstand the impact of three stories worth of building and people living right, on in the top foundation of type, I'm sure too, to, to withstand whatever's right, down there. Right. Right. And then you deal with like topography, you deal with detention, retention, you need space for all that. You need space for roads. You need to make sure your site isn't too like hilly and how your buildings are going to lay across that. So those are all uh, variables that you have to take into account, but, but really it's just surrounding yourself with a rock star team. That's mm. hands down. That's how you get it done is like, you find a good GC, you find a good architect. If you're getting started or you're just getting into it, you know, kind of lay that out on them and say, Hey, look, I really want to get this done. Is there any way we can work together and you can kind of take some of the risk with me? I'll pay you a premium. Okay. I've had architects and engineers do that with me where they've basically almost come in as like a partner on the deal. Either they can invest their fee as equity or mm. they can, they can basically take a 20, 30% boost in their fees um, in wow. order to take risk. So you pay them for it, you know, you're paying for right. it, but they will take risk. If the, so if the deal doesn't go forward, then you're not out of pocket. Now, how do you vet a good GC or architect or architecture? <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, if you're new to new construction, I would say always go off referrals. Okay. Um, and the more you're going to learn about new construction and the more you learn about you know, what, what are key things that key things you need to look out for? What are key things that architects are going to look out for and engineers are going to look out for? Then you're going to start to get a handle on, Hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's experienced. I think it just comes down to experience, flexibility, ability to get it done. Cause you know, you, you kind of, you know, I have some engineers that are like, well, that's going to be too hard. That's impossible. I was like, well, you know, if that's your answer, then we're probably not going to work well together. Cause I need somebody that can figure out solutions. Yeah. You're always going to gonna deal with a unique site. Like no site is like home run. Right. Like nine times out of 10, all the good sites, like all the like crystal clean, you know, perfect, you know, fits in a square box um, sites are already taken up. So you're going to deal with interesting sites. So your civil engineer who deals with the site, you know, you want somebody that can deal with that difference and deal with the change up. Um, and also architects and engineers that are going to tell you how it is uh, and tell you straight. So you can budget for that ahead of time. Wow. Okay. I mean, how cool is it on a real level here? How cool is it to just see these things get built from the ground up? Like how proud are you of you yourself, your team, and then that little boy in you that's just like, oh my gosh, it's a building. There's cranes here. You know what I mean? I was the yeah. kind of kid who like, I love Legos. I love like making cranes, like making Lego buildings. So whenever I'm in like super intense rehabs, you know, the buildings got it down to the yeah. studs and everything restarts. It's so satisfying to just watch yeah. it go from nothing, you know, to something, something spectacular. Yeah. Um, yeah. That ever get old for you? <laughs> no, man, not at all. It's like, 
every new site is like a new baby for me. I'm like, yep. this is amazing. I love this. And I'm blessed every day to do this. And I, same as you, I like, I would, I would play SimCity growing up. I played Sims. And, you know, I was always <laughs> like building these humongous houses. And um, yeah, man, this is like a dream come true for me because I get to build stuff and actually see it come out of the ground. I remember the first multifamily development I did, 192 units. Uh, and I first time, like from one of the first times I, I visited the site after they started construction, they were pouring concrete um, to, to lay out all the parking and the driveways. And there were, I counted, there were like 55 guys there. And I was like, wow. holy moly. Like we, you know, myself and our team created that opportunity for 55 people to work here. Not, not to mention all the other people that will come after these people. Right. Um, but just that alone. The, one of the, yeah. That was one of the coolest things for me. I like took a bunch of pictures. I'm like, this is amazing. I got, yeah. you know, we helped create 55 jobs just here today. Right. I mean, that's you. Honestly, I'd cry. I would cry at like, <laughs> like, like the fact that we're doing something amazing. We're, we're yeah. doing something in the community, whether it benefits everyone. There's no one that doesn't benefit because you're creating jobs, you're creating income, you're creating traffic, you know, that's good things. And also just like, I did it kind of thing. This feeling like it's starting the project yeah. that I've worked so hard for has started. So I, I think that is awesome. How many um, ground up development projects have you completed to date or not even completed, but been involved with versus something that you're just starting to put stakes in the ground recently? Yeah. Uh, six new construction developments. That is crazy. I think four have been completed uh, and then two were in construction. And then we have three right now in pre-development. That is awesome. Congrats. Honestly, congratulations, man. Head off to you because there's a lot of people in this business. There's a lot of real estate investors out there, but I know for a fact, none of them are doing, you know, new stuff like this. And it's not easy because, and, and you tell me, cause you know, how is it, you know, getting plans approved through the city, permitting, co uh, zoning, all that good stuff. I mean, that's not a walk in the park. Uh, how is that? <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> it is literally different every single time. It's like, you never know what you're going to get. Um, I've, I've been turned down a lot of times. Like, it sucks because you do a lot of work. You spend a lot of money and time um, going into thinking this is going to be a home run and envisioning a future where this is built. And then you have a city council member saying, nope, not going to happen. Uh, I've had council members and communities basically like put um, moratoriums on multifamily development in their city wow. or in their community because they didn't my want mind why that, they do that much. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you guys need this housing. I'm not, right. I'm not just doing it for me. I'm doing it for you guys too. Yep. This is a community benefit. And they were just like, Nope, we don't want any new growth. We don't want new development. We don't it's want, crazy. you know, change. Um, we like that, you know, that lot exactly how it is. And sometimes you just have to have the, you know, be humble to be like, all right, you know, this is not going to happen. I need to move on from this. Um, but that's tough. But yeah, I mean, it, it's always different, but it's, it's really satisfying when you get a rezoning done and when you can get permits, but rezonings and permits add a long time to the pre-development. Like we'll typically, if it's rezoning, it takes eight to 12 months. Wow. Uh, permitting takes 12 plus months. So if you're rezoning and permitting, then you got, you know, two plus years on a development. That's crazy. Um, that's, a lot can happen in a city in, in two years, honestly, you know, yeah, something and the economy. Let, right. Exactly. Let, let's look at Detroit, for example, people doing new developments there. They're in the middle of investing all this money, going through the due diligence, looking for the permits, all the zoning, 
and then all the auto manufacturers, you know, move out and the economy crashes, you know, what do they do? Um, even not, well, that local economy, I shouldn't say the economy. Um, and like you said, the, you know, the market, the economy as well can adjust. I'm sure you guys weren't planning for something like COVID-19 to happen when you guys were starting no. projects. Uh, I see you smiling a little bit there. So I'm sure you guys have dealt with a little, but I'm sure you're on track with it now. Yeah. When you're applying for all these, these permits, all and everything for the projects, is that something you guys are doing in advance before you acquire the, the land just to make sure that it can happen. So you're not wasting the money. How does that work? I mean, can the seller of the land just switch the price on you? Maybe knowing that you, you got it down or do you have it locked under contract? How does that look? Yeah, good question. We typically nine times out of 10, our contracts are really long, um, which is tough because a lot of landowners are like, well, why would I wait yeah. you know, one to two years exactly until I get paid? Um, but the thing we try to go after is we'd say, Hey, look, we're going to give you your asking price or close to it. Um, but we need you to give us time. And I right. think anytime you're negotiating a contract, it, it'll come down to time and it'll come down to price. Yeah. Um, those are two of the biggest negotiation points. And so for us, we're like, Hey, look, we can give you the price, but you got to give us the time. Um, so that, that is number one. Um, so we always try to get options on our land. Uh, and of course we try to have money not go hard until we actually know we have, of um, course we have zoning and we have some path towards permitting and financing. Those are kind of the three main things. If you have those three things going for you, then if we have to, we'll buy the land before we're actually ready to start construction. But usually we try to have the contract long enough so that way by the time we're ready to close on construction financing and mm -hmm. we have permits, we have financing lined up, then we close on the land on the same exact day. Wow. And we just immediately start construction the next day. That's crazy. Now, before when you're applying for all these permits, zoning, all that good stuff, does the seller let you do like phase one environmental on the property? Do they let you, you know, dig a little bit, all that good stuff. I'm assuming that's in your contract. Yeah, exactly. So we put it in our contract ahead of time. We say, Hey, you know, we need to have access to the site. Um, you know, we'll give you 24 hours notice, but we need access to the site and we're going to be doing phase ones. We're going to be doing geotechs, you know, we'll, we'll return the, the site as much as possible to its current condition. But Obviously, geotechs, sometimes they need to get in there and, and especially survey too. They'll be cutting down some trees, um, but wow. the seller knows that's just part of the process. And nine times out of 10, they're completely okay with it. And another thing we do too with, um, with landowners is we kind of, to give them peace of mind, we say, hey, look, if, if something happens, if we can't get this done um, for whatever reason, then we will give you all of the reports any, any documentation, wow, okay. data, any reports that we um, accrue over our due diligence period, we will share with you if we don't move forward. Um, so mm -hmm. we've, we've done that in the past when we couldn't move forward. That's awesome. Uh, and that's just a, a little, yeah, because we spend quite a bit of money on that stuff. So that's something they can bring forward with them to the next seller or buyer uh, if right. that is the case. That's great. And with these properties, these vacant lots, basically that you guys are going to develop on, do you have the property under contract? So it's locked up. So the seller basically can't back out as you're doing all this due diligence and investing all this money. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So basically, you know, we, we write it so that 
As long as we're paying our deposits, then we're, and as long as we're paying them on time, then we're under contract and we have the right to buy it at, you know, whatever the agreed upon price is up front. So um, sometimes, sometimes we have sliding scale uh, payouts where we basically say, Hey, if, you know, if we close in six months or less, then we pay, you know, a discounted price. Uh, mm, if we pay, okay. you know, over six months, then it'll be this price. But it, it maybe if the seller wants to close more quickly, then we can do things like that to, to basically say, hey, you know, we'll we'll move up our timeline if you help us on the price. Okay, that's great. Yeah, and I know you do other stuff. I apologize. I'm just making this development. It's just it's an awesome no, thing. I love and, it. And people don't talk about it very often, and I don't get to sit down with someone that has experience with it and talk about it more. Um, and biggest project you've done to date for real estate development versus smallest unit count wise or, or mixed unit wise, what does that look like? Yeah. Uh, biggest one, 264 units, uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana. Um, that was a doozy of a deal. Uh, it took me almost three years to get it closed. Uh, wow. it's wrapping up construction now. Um, that was, that was a lot of fun to get done. That was 13, 24 unit buildings, clubhouse pool, uh, we had all kinds of different financing on that one. Um, had the, the mayor was, that was one of the ones where the mayor of, of Lake Charles was literally like, Hey, we have a problem here and we need help. Uh, and so they were, they were beyond grateful that we were able to get that project completed to provide good quality workforce housing. That's correct. So that was, that was the biggest, um, but for the, the one we're working on now, um, when we get that one done, that'll definitely be the biggest. Uh, and then, and then the smallest, uh, it was probably one of my first deals. It was a, you know, we, we bought a single family house to live in, but we basically turned the master bedroom and had a door to the outside. And we basically, you know, walled off access to the main portion of the house and just turned it into an Airbnb unit it had bathroom mm. and had laundry room. And, um, that basically was one of the first deals I did. And then that allowed me saved up money from there uh, and did a triplex after that. And then from there at the same time, I was working for a development company and that's where I learned how and, and did that first 192 unit deal. That's great. So you really just scaled is what you did, which is awesome to hear. Now, why build new versus and take on risk, invest all this money and, and you know, extend the timeline by, you know, three to six times as longer as someone else that can just go find a underperforming asset and add value to it. Why is that? Yeah. Um, I think, I think it matches with, you just have to match your, the types of real estate that you do and invest in with your passions, your desires and balancing risk and reward. So okay. there is more risk to it. Um, just inherently because there's way more moving parts. Oh yeah. Zoning, there's permitting, there's politics, there's construction, there's lease up. Um, there's so many different parts. And so that is more risky, but with the risk comes more reward. We get obviously way more fees, uh, because it's a lot, um, higher cost asset. And on top of that, we're building something brand new, um, that, inherently is going to be one of the newest things on the market for the next 15 years. Uh, and right. so we're going to have an asset for the long term, and we long term hold everything we build. And so we're going to have something for the long term that will keep its value really well. Yep. And then in 15 to 20 years, we'll do some light rehab on our own projects. And then 
And then we just have, you know, almost like value add guys, they go after value add deals. They find value where it needs to be fixed up. We just have a pipeline of our own value add deals now. That um, is awesome. So that's, that's the long-term vision. Um, but I, but I agree with, with the, the value add approach, uh, which is why we do a couple deals like that every year. Um, I definitely think there's finding that good balance between new construction and value add, because I agree, you can get into a value add deal a lot more quickly, um, with a lot lower costs up front, a lot lower risk, but usually your fees will be lower and your upside may be a little lower too. Yeah. Um, less risk, can, less reward. Yeah, but you can get into it and out of it a lot more quickly. So um, I think it's really finding that good balance. Like we we probably do eighty percent new construction, twenty percent value add. That is that is awesome. I love that. And as far and, and the other thing is too, when you're you're doing new, I would imagine if you have the same price unit as someone across town and it's a thirty year old year old building, they're always going to hop over to you because you know it's new construction, it looks better, things are updated, which yeah. is great. And basically you can throw cap backs out the window for like five years. Yeah. You still yeah. want a budget for it, but not nearly as high as these other exactly. 1970 assets. That's sweet. Um, do you ever syndicate new development or is that more joint venture? So talk to us a little bit because a lot of people on this podcast, a lot of people that know me, they know syndications. They really get the gist of it. Yeah. Talk to me about new development syndication. This is like a whole <laughs> new thing for me. I love this. I'm getting so excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's different per deal. Uh, kind of like what we talked about before we hopped on. It's, it's different for every deal. Yep. Uh, we have JVs where it's holiday ventures and one other partner. Uh, and we have JVs where it's us and one capital partner, uh, or one co-development partner. Mm. Um, we have sometimes like we're working on one deal where, uh, a land owner is actually going to, um, he's going to roll in his land as equity. We do things like that as well. Um, but then we also do like we're, we're working on a few right now where we're considering doing uh, syndication deals where we're basically roll in, you know, we'll raise eight to $10 million. Um, usually it's going to be from, uh, you know, investors bringing a couple hundred thousand dollars or more um, just because the amount of capital we're raising. But uh, it's very similar to uh, very similar to a value add syndication deal where we're going to be bringing, um, you know, you typically get 70 to 80% for the investors uh, and then look at some sort of uh, preferred return, um, making sure we're hitting our IRRs and our cash on cash. But it's very similar actually to a value add. The only thing is you're not going to have any cash flow for the first two years because we're building asset, um, wow. but that just accrues. Yeah. So it, it, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit less payout. Um, from the cash flow perspective as the, as the GP, uh, but you can actually, you can collect a developer fee, which is similar to an acquisition fee. Yep. Um, uh, like an asset them, management know. fee at the time. Cause you're not really managing an asset as far as functionality, the day to day, you're doing more than development. Right. 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 So we, book. We will collect right. Uh, book. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's coming too. It, it hasn't been started yet, but it's been brainstormed. <laughs> That's great. Now, so, something you said, you know, obviously every deal is different. JV syndications. Do you have? And you said, you know, it could be one capital partner. By one capital partner, does that mean you, you're really just partnering with like a hedge fund, and that's the investment that they're going after is with you guys? Is that what that kind of looks like? It can be a hedge fund. It can be a family office. Um, it can be just a you know a real estate company that has money 
has capital, has okay. ties to capital. Um, we're right now, it's mainly just uh, there's one JV partner, and they're basically we're we're co-developing that deal together, um, and so they're bringing capital. They're longtime real estate guys, so they have the capital, and we're also working on the development side together. Um, but then we're also looking at some where we would basically bring in a family office. They would bring in all the money um, to the deal, you know, eight to $10 million typically is what they like to bring in. And they like to have that control too. They like to be the only investor yeah. or the majority investor. Um, now, so it's, it's really, what's that? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's really, no, I was just going to say it's really, really unique. Um, kind of investing model where it's like you, you don't have, it's not like a syndication where you have, you know, 30, 40, 50 investors, you have one, maybe two, yeah. maybe three investors. That's awesome. And now with that, do you have to file with the SEC still, or is it more of a joint venture structure? So you don't really have to file as a security. Yeah. If you're, if you're having that few investors, you typically don't need to file. Um, okay. But Again, I'm not an SEC attorney, so right, talk yeah. to your SEC attorney. <laughs> Take everything I say with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. Family office, though. Talk to the listeners. If someone's saying, like, well, what, what's a family office? What is that? I know it's very simple, but Gloria. Yeah. Um, families with accrued a lot of wealth over many decades, uh, typically. And now they've basically created a you know, very formal structure or, a, a, you know, depends on the family, but usually created a more formal structure as to how to look at deals, how to vet deals and placing their assets usually into real estate, but you know, they'll invest in pretty much everything. Um, but typically families that pull their money together and say, Hey, we want to, you know, they typically even hire people within the family office that will vet the deals for them um, and make sure they're good deals and then place the capital accordingly. Okay. Awesome. And, Two kind of unique questions. When are you guys able to start depreciating the asset as far as when the construction's done, when you start, when does that depreciation happen? And is it a commercial depreciation or a residential depreciation? I'm assuming mixed use is commercial or how does that look? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, usually you may not know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would say from my knowledge, uh, so we typically do cost segregation studies on everything we do. Yep. Um, just to accelerate depreciation. Um, and the benefit is the huge benefit with new construction is you have way more costs. So you have way more depreciation. Oh, yeah. um, and typically site costs with the, whatever it was, 2018 um, tax, tax, what was it? Jobs Act. Um, whatever the 2018 bill that Trump did, I forget what it was called, but basically it gives a bonus depreciation to any site work. Mm. So if your site work is a big number, that actually helps you uh, in some ways, because you get bonus depreciation, you can write that all off, I believe in year one. Um, wow. so we're immediate year one, massive, massive losses on these deals. Yeah. Paper um, losses on it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, there's a huge benefit to new construction from the taxes side too, because you just have immediate massive losses. That's great. And you stole my second question. It's going to be cost segregation. When does that, uh, it, when does that start though? Do you start that as you're doing the billing process or once the assets complete? So a company can cost come in and, and do the, the segregation on it. Yeah. So we, we, uh, sign them up before we do construction, uh, because they'll, they'll give us a full report of what they anticipate it to be. Uh, okay. and then basically our investors and, and we will model off of those losses, 
Um, and then that will, will basically give our investors a better insight as to what their returns are going to be with, you know, appreciation and losses. Um, so we, we order it ahead of time and then we actually get the results once we complete construction. Gotcha. Okay. And when you guys are taking that paper loss, that's massive in the first year because you're not generating any revenue or income, is that able to be rolled into, uh, prior future years on the prog on the, uh, property? Yes. Basically it it just depends on your typical tax situation. Okay. Um, but for the investors, yeah, it would basically roll, it would roll forward. If if you don't have that liability, you can roll it forward. Okay. I know I should have a CPA on CPA on here for some of these questions. I thought (laughs) I'd ask anyways. Well, I gotcha. I need to get my CPA on here. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So this has been sweet again, just a, a whole new aspect that you don't hear too much about. No one talks too much about, um, I'm going to kind of switch gears into some questions that I ask all the guests. Do you have anything, Evan, though, please go right ahead. Anything you want to talk about, discuss, or, you know, stuff that you have in your mind that you want people to hear? Yeah. Good question. I like it. Open-ended. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say, yeah. Um, I would say the biggest thing is for anybody listening, if you are passionate about new construction, uh, if you want to get into new construction, since that's what we talked a lot about today, if, if that's something that interests you or workforce and affordable housing interests you, um, I am an open book. Uh, you can reach out to me anytime. Uh, email is evan at evanholiday.com or Instagram, uh, like Dante knows me from as well. Uh, I'm an open book. And also like it, it also, like we were talking about earlier, like to get into it, it's not as hard as you think. Um, you usually want to start with a smaller project, but, um, you know, find a, find a four unit townhome, new construction project, you know, you're building one building, but you get four units out of it and do it for sale or do it for rent, whatever, whatever the model is. Um, I had a coaching client recently. He just went from building single family homes to just did a 24 unit new construction project. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm all in a multifamily. He's like, I want to do a hundred unit deal. I want to do a 200. <laughs> it's <unit> addicting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, and, and he saw the immediate value because he, he, you know, he got a loan for a million and a half and now it's valued at $3 million now that he's done building it. And he's like, man, that, awesome. that only took me like eight, nine months. He's like, imagine if I do multiple of these a year, like, yeah, that's the power of development is yep. you're just dealing with bigger numbers. You're dealing with more zeros and it's powerful. And something you just said that piqued my interest was, you know, he took a loan for one and a half million, built the asset, then it was worth 3 million when he's done. Does that mean he can refinance it after and actually pull out equity on top of that? Yeah. Now that's crazy. Right. Ready? Right. (laughs) Mind blown. Like now how does, how does that work? Because wouldn't the bank give you the funds that they know it costs to build and wouldn't it be worth as much as it costs to build or would it be worth more than it actually costs to build because, you know, you're basically getting equity for the time and doing the due diligence, the permits and everything. Is that correct? So, um, two different ways to answer that. Basically, uh, when you're, when you're financing a new construction, they always value it based on, okay, what's it going to cost you to build? We'll right. give you 70%, 80% of that, whatever the lender wants. Um, so. So that's what you're going to do up front. So that's your construction loan. And then once you're ready to refinance, uh, if you're trying to do it within the first year, then they may hold you. Um, they may hold you to that original loan sizing, basically saying, Hey, 
you know, we'll, we'll let you pull out your original equity, whatever you put into it originally, but we won't let, let you pull out more than that until you've held it for at least a year. And typically they want to see tax returns for the project. They want to see actual financials for roughly one year of the project, including tax returns. Once they have that, then you can do 80% of whatever the value is. So the value is different than what it costs to construct. And that typically is based on your NOI, um, you know, with your cap rate and that will give you your value. So if you take your value, that's typically going to be a lot higher. If you, if you did your numbers right up front, your yeah. value is going to be a lot higher than your construction cost. And then after that one year hold period, then you can refinance for the much higher figure. That is awesome. That is sweet. And do you guys do a lot of refinancing after you finish your projects to pull, pull out that equity? Yeah, it depends. Um, Right. Each one's we, different, obviously. But. Yeah, we, each one's different. We, a lot of times what we'll try to do is we'll try to actually, um, because we're in the workforce affordable housing space, we try to line up our permanent financing when we are in construction phase. So we basically, we, we sign a, a term sheet with basically our construction lender and our perm lender. Sometimes they're the same bank uh, and it basically will convert as long as we're hitting our numbers as long as we're hitting the rents that we thought we were and the expenses we thought we would, then they'll basically convert it from a construction to a perm loan. Um, and that's typically gives us more security upfront. So we're not, we're not guessing what the interest rate will be. Cause that's a risk. If you, if you mm. don't lock down your perm ahead of time, your permanent loan, then interest rates could, you know, in the year and a half, it takes you to build it. Interest rates could skyrocket. And then you're stuck with like, Oh, well, my numbers don't work anymore with, Five and a half percent instead of four percent. That is that is awesome. That is a great great strategy. And last question before I get into our, our my normal questions at the end here. What? How are you guys evaluating markets of which ones make sense to go build in? Are you doing you know market analysis, getting data from the Census Bureau, just kind of figuring out how many units are really in demand? Is that what you're doing for the most part? Um, it, it's it's a it's a balance between scientific like looking at the the hard data like that. And then also we want to know um, the biggest, one of the biggest data points is like, where is net migration and where is net job migration? Um, like for example, like we all know the South is booming, is the highest net migration state of any in the, in the whole United States for the last 10 years. So that's, that's high on our list for priorities. We're not there yet. Um, we're working with states where we're, within two and a half hour drive of Nashville right now. But as we expand our team and grow our footprint, that's high on our radar because we know Florida has that net migration. They have the job migration, they have the income migration, young people are moving there. Those are the things we're looking at. So on the data side, that's what we look at. But then also we look at um, kind of sometimes the intangibles. We like, okay, where are where is political leadership um, strongest and most supportive for workforce and affordable housing? Because that is our niche. And so we want, we, you know, we specifically look for leaders and cities that have set aside financing and financing tools, um, like tax abatements, TIFs, um, grants, loans, different things like that, that go for workforce and affordable housing, new construction. We look for that specifically. So that's kind of the, you know, the little bit more intangible side of it says, Hey, where's the political willpower, uh, in these cities. And that also guides where we go as well. That is great. I love that. Um, awesome. I mean, that you, you 
I threw some really hard questions at you and you gave me some phenomenal answers. So my hat off to you, my friend, um, everyone listening, Evan doesn't just do real estate development. He does a bunch of other stuff. That's just what we kind of went with for the show. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but heading off to the next section, uh, first question, your favorite podcast you like listening to besides your own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Besides monumental. Um, that's a good question. Uh, probably how I built this with Guy Raz. Okay. Yeah. I've got that one a bunch. A lot of people like that. I'll have to check that out. Cause I haven't had a chance to favorite book you enjoy reading. Ooh, um, I'm doing a book a week right now. So there's a lot to choose from. Uh, what the one I'm reading right now that is actually absolutely like blowing my mind, uh, is Anne Rand Atlas Shrugged. Um, phenomenal book. It's really freaking long. So if you're ready to commit to it, um, I'm listening to it on audible. Uh, but it, I think it's like 60 hours of audible. I mean, wow. it's a, it's a commitment. Um, but phenomenal book just about like taking control of your life. Uh, it's a fiction book, but it tells a lot of metaphorical stories, um, about mindset, about freedom of choice, about living your life on purpose with intention and, and providing value to the world. That's awesome. I like that. Okay. I'll check that out as well. Uh, biggest hurdle you've had to overcome in real estate. Hmm. Um, being more patient. Uh, <laughs> when I, got, when I, when I got started in development, I was like, man, I'm going to like, I'm going to do so many deals so quick. Like I'm going to just jump right into this and, and close my first deal in like six months. And it took me two years to get my first deal done. And, wow. um, that was very humbling because for two years I was literally like every day I was like, man, am I, am I really cut out to be a developer? Like this is tough. And yeah. it was mentally really kind of a struggle for me at first. Cause I was like, man, can I really do this? Can I, but when I got that first deal done and like I told you, like I saw people working, I was like, man, this is a hundred percent where I'm supposed to be. And I'm passionate about it. I'm willing to put up with this long weight game that you have to deal with. You know, like I, I, you know, and I have a lot of friends that do um, a lot of like high volume deals, you know, they yeah. do like 70, 100, 200 deals a year. Um, and I'm like, damn, that looks like a lot of fun. Like you guys are always closing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And ABC always I'm be on the other end, <laughs> yeah, now I'm on the other end. I'm like, get like a couple, maybe two, three, four closings a year. Uh, you know, that's a good year is four closings a year. And, and, um, it's just a, it's a totally different mindset, totally different game. So just adjusting to that was probably one of the toughest things. Uh, that's awesome. I love that. Favorite non-real estate hobby. Hmm. Uh, mountain biking. I love mountain mountain biking. biking. I see you doing that on Instagram a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a blast, man. Just getting out in the woods and and going, it kind of gets me level headed and, um, kind of slows me down a little bit. I like it. Newbie advice you'd give to a new investor. Uh, don't be afraid. Uh, take action right now. As soon as you're listening right now, uh, and find a mentor, find a coach, grab coffee and make it happen. I like it. And where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, having created a massive platform, uh, thought leadership and expertise platform around workforce and affordable housing and being the go-to expert across the country and possibly in other countries where um, city officials, city leaders, government leaders, 
um, are really seeking us out because we are the go-to experts and we can provide the best quality uh, attainable and empowering communities. Awesome. I love it. I was really going to hope you were going to say something like develop a city that w- nothing was there. Just build a whole city and have it be called the holiday that's, city. <laughs> that's, that's like the 20 year goal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, Evan, awesome. Awesome show. So glad I got to have you on, please. I, I know you did it before, but do it again. Where can people connect with you find out more about you and just, you know, pick your brain. Yeah, definitely. Uh, podcast, monumental podcast. You can find it anywhere. Uh, and then Evan at evanholiday.com is my email. Uh, and then Instagram at Evan holiday. I'm really active there. Uh, connect, send me a DM and let's make it happen. Awesome. I love it, man. I probably said, wow, more times than I've ever said in a single podcast, just cause like I was so impressed with everything, but seriously, hats it. off to you, brother. I will uh, stay in contact with you. Take care. Yes. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.